You shall not withhold the wages of poor and needy laborers, whether other Israelites or aliens who reside in your land in one of your towns. You shall pay them their wages daily before sunset, because they are poor and their livelihood depends on them. Otherwise, they might cry to the Lord against you, and you would incur guilt. The New Testament reading, touching back on fairness and the payment for labor, is from the book of James, chapter 5, verse 4, on page 1056 in your pew Bible. Listen, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Thank you. May God bless our understanding of these words. So this week, reading the Smithsonian Magazine, I learned of this very cool archeological project being undertaken in a place called the Great Dismal Swamp. The swamp spans parts of North Carolina and Virginia, and it lives up to its name. Uh, apparently, mosquitoes can get so heavy that they look like fog and obscure the, the outline of the person in front of you. Water moccasins and rattlesnakes, two of the deadliest snakes in North America, infest the area. Getting around is almost impossible. The vegetation is too thick for canoes and the water too deep and muddy to tr travel well by foot. It's really one of the most hospitable places you can think of, making it the perfect place for runaway slaves. Dan Sayers is the lead archaeologist who's excavating a 20-acre island that is hidden inside this terrible swamp, a place far away from civilization. He calls it a desolate place for a defiant people. Here escape slaves, displaced natives, and even a runaway indentured servant or two lived in a multicultural commune of sorts subsisting the best they can on the small island from the mid-1600s until the end of the Civil War. What I love most about this archaeological project is that it's delving into the history of the forgotten. Dr. Sayers is trying to breathe new life into the stories of slaves to tell of their resilience and their resistance to slavery. And personally, I think that these are more than just interesting stories. These are holy stories. These are godly stories because our God is a God of struggle, a God of liberation, and a God of freedom. A few verses after today's passage in Deuteronomy, we are told this deep reason why the Hebrews are called to show justice to workers, to protect widows and orphans, and to guard the rights of foreigners. In verse 18, it says this, Remember, you were a slave in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this. Our commandments are rooted in our relationship to God. We are commanded to pay wages to those who work for us in full and on time, not, because, not only because of the contract we have with them, but because of the covenant that we have with God. God is the breaker of chains, and if you have any freedom in this life, you owe it to the power of God. When you abuse that freedom by enslaving others, 
by perpetuating injustice, by putting greed above human need, then you invite guilt and the wrath of God. Our brother James doesn't hold back in his letter. Earlier, he says something along the lines of, your riches have rotted. You have lived in luxury on this earth, and it has only fattened you for the day of slaughter. And both Deuteronomy and James, both the Old Testament and the New, we are told that God hears the cries of workers and holds a special place for them. And if you wrong them, you'll have to answer for what you've done. After all, God doesn't favor the rich and the powerful. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. Our faith, our tradition, our worldview doesn't belong to Pharaoh and the slave masters but instead belongs to that humble slave that was freed by the power of God. Slavery is, of course, of special relevance to us here in America. Before the pilgrims landed on Plymouth Rock, the first slaves arrived in Jamestown. Here in Boston, we often think we were on the right side of history. And it is true that it was right here, down the road in Boston Common, where the heroic Massachusetts 54th regiment gathered and marched south for the liberation of slaves. It was here in Boston that William Lloyd Garrison founded The Liberator, the national anti-slavery newspaper. The Underground Railroad had its share of supporters here, and this is one of its stops on the way up to Canada. That's a great part of the story, and it is things that we should be proud of. But it is, of course, not the only part of the story. In the early days of our colony, during King Philip's War, colonists killed about 40% of the native population and sold thousands of, sla of captives into slavery in Virginia, Barbados, the West Indies. Throughout our history, we had no problem cooperating with slavers, happily importing the cotton and sugar harvested by slaves and using the same merchants and ships that kidnapped people from Africa to ship our goods to Africa, to, and Europe. As our colony matured and New, New England started to become an increasingly important part of the transatlantic trade, slave trade. You see, the genocide and slavery is not a southern sin. They are American sins. And we played our part. The wealth created by the plunder of land from natives and labor from slaves was spread around enough to corrupt everything. Even Harvard Law School, who trained some of the most eloquent abolitionists, was endowed by a wealthy slave owner and recently changed its shield because of its historic link to slavery. Now, I bring this history up not to make us feel guilty, but because it's important. It's not just important because we have yet to properly acknowledge, atone, and atone for our historic sins as a country, although that is a good reason in and of itself. I bring this history up because these stories are history. These stories of oppression and liberation are spiritual stories. They are biblical stories. If we look at our own history, we should be able to see God not standing with the rich and the powerful, but giving strength and perseverance to the slave and hearing the pleas of the worker. God may have been praised in the plantation houses of the South, but God could be seen 
somewhere deep inside that great dismal swamp, a small island surrounded by danger. God could be seen in the hope and the struggle and the perseverance of her children that were living there. We just did our best to sing a song by Pete Seeger, and uh, the version we did was uh, Peter, Paul, and Mary, a rendition. And one of the things that the American folk singers have done so well is to tell the stories of ordinary people and the holy things that they've been able to do through love, through hope, through solidarity. I'm reminded of a great quote from uh, the folk singer Utah Phillips. Kids don't have a little brother working in a coal mine. They don't have a little sister coughing her lungs out in the looms of big mill towns in the Northeast. Why? Because we organized. We broke the back of the sweatshops in this country. We have child labor laws. Those were not benevolent gifts from an enlightened management. They were fought for, they were bled for, they were died for by working people, by people like us. Kids ought to know that. That's why I sing these songs. That's why I tell these stories. No root, no fruit. That last line is my favorite. No root, no fruit. If we forget the stories of our past, and these include the stories of children, the stories of slaves, the stories of sweatshops and strikes, we won't be able to be faithful and fruitful for God. After all, these aren't just the stories of the poor and marginalized. These are the stories of God, the stories of Jesus Christ. We have an Old Testament and a New Testament, but we also have a Living Testament. The experiences of our ancestors in their ongoing struggle for freedom. After all, God didn't come to Pharaoh. He came to Pharaoh's slaves. Jesus didn't come to Caesar. He came to fishermen and occupied Judea. Jesus didn't live a life of luxury, but came to earth in the form of a poor Jewish boy to preach good news to the poor and proclaim release to the captives. Jesus didn't rule over anyone. Instead, he was a community organizer of sorts. He taught and discipled a small group of ordinary, uneducated people and trusted them to carry on his ministry just as he trusts us to carry on his ministry now in the present age. He didn't remove himself from the pain of this world, but instead shared in our suffering and in our struggles. He was crucified by the power of Rome, but he was resurrected by the power of God, showing us how to live a life of faith and courage, mercy, and compassion. We are supposed to remember, to remember that we were slaves once in Egypt and that God isn't found in the halls of the rich and the powerful, but instead inside the depths of the great dismal swamps of this world, in those desolate places where only the resilient can survive. In these stories of struggle, In these stories of hope and perseverance, we can hear the gospel story told again and again. Thanks be to the living God who takes our chains away. Amen.